Hello guys! Hello! Time for Kawaii Cast. Yes, I'm Candace. And I'm Tyler. So, uh, instead of doing our normal beginning of the episode where we talk about what's going on in the world of anime, we decided there was a subject that was just a bit more important. Uh, most of you guys are aware that we are based in America, and if you guys have been following any of the news, you guys will know that... It's not a fun place right now. <laughs> no, not at all. And we feel that since this is an anime podcast, this is a podcast that benefits from Asian culture and shows that come from Asian countries. We wanted to talk about the Stop Asian Hate movement happening in America right now. Yes. We're not a political podcast, and neither of us are Asian, so we do not have a major platform when it comes to this subject, but we do feel like when it comes to stuff like this, there's three really important things you could do. The first is if you are able to donate to their cause, please do so. Even a small amount helps. The second thing that you can do, which is what we're doing, is raise awareness of these issues. Uh, Asian hate in America in the past year has risen about 150%. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous and it's unacceptable. Yeah, to think that this is just starting is also a bit ignorant. This is something that has been a part of our country for a long time. It's just something that's just being noticed now for the first time. It's to being this noticed extent. and, like you said, in the last year it's gotten worse. Yeah. And honestly, anime could just cease to exist tomorrow, and we'd both be sad and upset, but we'd get over it. Issues like this is something we can't get over, because people are getting hurt or killed. Yes. And that is a much bigger issue. So it, it is important for us to spread awareness and to not let these issues die down or go quiet. And the final thing that you could do that is very important, which is far more important than listening to us talk about this, is to listen to the people who have been affected by these issues. Yeah. Talk to them. Don't, don't turn a blind eye. I mean, obviously, they've they've been affected. You like like listen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, when they say something, don't brush it off. Take it seriously. Absolutely. And. That goes for anybody in the Asian community, whether they are American or not. Yeah. So, yeah. This is our way of just saying we're listening to our Asian friends and our Asian community here. Um, that that being said, um, you did mention donating. Mm-hmm. I just, because I saw an article on this earlier. Uh, the one woman, the 76-year-old that got assaulted and fought back. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a GoFundMe for her that had raised, like, $900,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess she has decided to donate it all to, uh, I forget the organization's name. It's like AAIP something. Mm-hmm. But it's, a, it's an organization that, that does help the Asian community, so. Yeah. So, cool, so make little, sure cool you know... little thing that happened there. Yeah, make sure you do know who you're donating to as well, because I know there are a lot of... Oh, there's... there's Oh, boy, and... Uh, there's a lot of fake groups out there, uh, so... I, I hate this. Every time something like this happens, there's always some fake group that pops up to take advantage of people trying to donate. So, yeah, just 
just look into who you are donating to. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, also, I, I don't feel like this is necessarily a part of the Stop Asian Hate, but it's also something you do if uh, you want to help a bit more local. Uh, if you have any local Asian businesses, like a small Chinatown in your area or anything like that, uh, shopping and supporting them during this time is very, very important, especially with the pandemic. A lot of these businesses and companies are starting to go out of business or closing their doors permanently. So make sure you know which of these companies are actually run by Asian members or people in your community. And support them as much as you can as well. I know that we have like a China shop not too far from here that we shop at pretty regularly. Yeah. I don't know what we would do if it ever closed <laughs> because we love that place a lot. So, mm -hmm. and I know San Francisco, like their Asian community, like their little Chinatown and their Japantown is starting to close down. And that's been there since before we were born. So that's crazy to think that they are losing that much business. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So, These are crazy times. Crazy times. So, uh, with that, Again, we're not a political podcast. We're also two white people. So <laughs> this isn't really our... This isn't our platform. We're just trying to raise awareness. Exactly. This isn't our soapbox. So go listen to them. Yeah. Uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and return to our normally scheduled anime program for you guys. And I do also... Another downer. I do want to put a content warning at the beginning of this episode going into the subject we're talking about. So we are going to be talking about Wonder Egg Priority. I mentioned this is my favorite anime of the season. But while this is an anime I feel like I want to recommend to as many people as possible, I'm also very much aware that there are going to be people out there who are not going to be able to make it through certain episodes of this show or certain content of this show. So... Just a quick content warning, the show does contain imagery of self-harm, suicide, child abuse, child rape, and other disturbing images such as animal cruelty and things I can't even describe without spoiling major plots of this show, so... Yes. Uh, shit's dark. Yeah. And I know for some people that's not going to bother them, but for other people, I don't want to like put you down or make you feel like you have to push yourself through this show because this is not an easy show yeah, to watch. Not, <laughs> not, not at all. Like I, I don't have any, anything that like, you know, PTSD or anything. I haven't mm -hmm. experienced that. So I myself can't just be like, oh, I, I know what you're going through. Cause well, I don't. Yeah. So, if those are not issues for you, I say that this is the must-watch anime of the season. Because it does go into issues like that, and I think it handles these issues extremely well. It doesn't glamorize them, or put them on a pedestal the way that other anime have, or even undermine situations like that, like... I, I think a lot of anime tend to use these types of subjects to be dark or edgy or controversial on purpose. Things like Goblin Slayer using rape in its first episode to spark controversy. And I know everybody's like, oh, but it was bad that she got raped. But it's like, oh, the yeah, show it, didn't... It, it absolutely was. But anything after, like, 
the third episode was like Hello Kitty Adventure Time, you know? Well, well, it, just... it wasn't it wasn't if it had kept that dark tone, mm-hmm. it would have been fine. Yeah. But it it turned into this you know, like you know, oh, Goblin Slayer Adventures. Like, okay, that it, it it lost all its dark edginess. Well, not just that, but I also feel like from an edit, like an editor standpoint, the way that the whole episode was shot, definitely like almost glamorized the situation. Like, it didn't really seem like a traumatizing situation for her. Like, the kids getting killed felt more traumatic than her being raped. And, like, if you're going to paint the idea that that's going to be a situation that's going to affect her for the rest of the li- her life, you want to be able to convey that through your editing and how you frame everything. Yes. And that's something that Wonder Egg Priority does right with its trauma scenes. Everything feels traumatic. Everything feels like this is something that's going to stick with these characters or is the cause of a lot of other characters' pain and suffering. And that's how you should treat trauma in franchises, in my opinion. I think that's something that Berserk did really well in its manga. I can't speak for the anime because I haven't watched any Berserk (laughs) animes for good Uh, reason. Yeah, they don't have the best reputation. Yeah, it's something that was done really well in Vinland Saga as well. Like... Shows that know how to portray darkness have this tendency to know that you're not trying to make it look... I don't know what even the correct phrase is. Like, you don't try to lighten the situation. Like, you don't add anime girl titties in a rape scene, you know? Uh, of course not. Clearly... A rape scene requires neon lights. (laughs) Yeah, so let's talk about the plot of Wonder Egg Priority and how it handles all of these dark messages really well. So immediately it throws us into this weird sense of the idea that a lot of this stuff is in the main character's head. The first shot we see is the main character, I talking to a cicada after saving its life. And it leads her to an arcade underground where she receives an egg and is told that it will hatch into a friend. Yes. Uh, it is a, um, from one of those, those basically like mini gotcha pawn games. Yeah. So that's, that's where you get the name Wonder Egg because it's Wonder, yeah. It, yeah. Play on words. Hooray! And she's soon taken to a dream world that resembles her school where she hatches the egg and it turns into a girl who she has to protect from nightmarish creatures. And throughout this entire sequence, we're seeing more and more flashbacks of her and her best friend who we found out committed suicide. And we also see that I is a character who was constantly harassed and bullied and was dealing with her own trauma. And for her one and only friend, the one girl in the world who called her beautiful and treated her like all of that bullying was not normal. It was not something she should have been experiencing. To, to all of a sudden lose lose that one connection, really, mm-hmm. that she has to the rest of the world. Yeah, so a lot of the show 
plays on the idea that I is just trying to figure out what is and is not real. For her, her whole life, she just assumed she was ugly because she was bullied for her parents. She assumed that it was normal to be treated that way. She assumed a lot of things about herself until somebody told her no. And then when she lost that person, she didn't know what reality was anymore. And this dream world is very, very much an escape for her because one, there's the hope that that person could come back if she continues to protect everybody, but also she gets to experience other people's trauma and see just exactly what the negative world looks like so she could start to see more positive in the world. Yeah, so so she doesn't view it like everything that's wrong with the world is specifically happening to her. Yeah. You know, so so she gets basically she gets the experience that like yeah, there's a lot of shit that is is going down. Yeah, exactly. And at first it seems like the only goal she has is to bring her dead friend back to life. But as the series progresses, we learn that there are other things in her life that are worth her living for. And that she might even become strong enough to be able to move on from her past. So, and that's where we get introduced to the other three characters in the series as well. All of whom are just absolutely fantastic. Uh, the next girl we meet is Nehru, who, a little bit of a spoiler, turns out that she was a test tube baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she is the owner of her own company. She's incredibly smart, and her sister apparently tried to kill her and then jumped off a bridge. And at this point... I thought my family was dysfunctional. <laughs> Yeah, at this point, Nehru's not trying to save her sister for the same reason I is trying to save her friend. I wants to get that moment of happiness back. Nehru just doesn't want to feel guilty for her sister's death anymore. Yeah. She feels like the scars that her sister gave her are a burden and they hurt. But when she is fighting for her sister, the pain is gone. So Nehru is a very different concept from I. She doesn't feel like pain and suffering is normal instead she feels like fighting for others or proving yourself or becoming a stronger person is normal yeah and those are her only motives throughout the series from most of what we see we do get a bit more information about her later and that she does have other connections in her life but for the most part it seems like she would be much more content being by herself yeah that's a mood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we're introduced to uh, Rika, who is a former idol who is basically living a life of guilt. She she uh, <laughs> she was an idol, so she got a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And at one point, one of the people she got a lot of her attention from, uh, well, Rika basically shot her down. She's mm -hmm. like, no, I, I don't want your attention anymore. Insulted her to try to, you know, basically get her to stop. To be fair, Rico, her heart was in the right place, but she handled it she, wrong. Yes, yes, absolutely. So this fan so, was, like, stealing and shoplifting and then selling the stuff in order just to pay for the 
fan meet and greets just to spend time with her. Yes. And she didn't want this girl committing crimes just for her, so she told her, like, I don't want to be friends with a chubby girl. Yeah. And this completely and, destroyed and her. That that led to the fan committing suicide because... Through eating disorder, specifically. Yeah. Because Rika mentions when she goes to the funeral, she's literally just skin and bones. So it wasn't... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this causes Rika to literally live in both denial and grief and sh- guilt. And through this, she constantly hurts herself. She doesn't really have adults that she could look up to. Her father left when she was young, and she doesn't even know what her father looked like anymore. And, and her, her mother is the, the owner of a bar. Yeah, her mother's not really a good mother. She... Kind of seems like she wants to be, but at the same time, she doesn't really know how. Yeah. So she just kind of pushes everything off. And then finally, we have the last girl that's introduced. uh, Actually, my favorite of the four girls, uh, Momoe, who uh, she was raised like through a pretty prestigious family. Uh, she was sent to an all-girls school, but she looks very, very masculine. She's very tall. She likes to keep her hair short. Uh, she has a very strong jawline. And because of this, going to an all-girls school, her best friend was a girl who was attracted to her for looking like a boy. Mm-hmm. And because of this, Momoi gets a lot of unwarranted attention from girls as Momoi's not gay or bi. She is straight and she wants to care about her friend a lot but she's not attracted to her yeah she doesn't want a relationship and because of this momoi's just kind of gotten used to that kind of attention from girls just kind of brushing it off or playing along but because she rejected her friend her friend committed suicide and I like that you can kind of tell how each of the characters committed suicide based off the location of the dream world. In Momoi's case, it is a train station. And yeah, so it's kind of interesting that she has these mixed feelings about saving her friend because she doesn't really know what she would say to her or how she would face her after everything. She's not necessarily feeling guilty, but instead she's almost uncomfortable or afraid of the situation it's uh, yeah i'm what what do you do in that situation though it's like Mm -hmm. yeah i i i don't know because like on on one hand i guess you would you would kind of feel guilty because you know that's that's just how humans are Mm -hmm. on the other hand it's like well it's not like i intended for that to happen Yeah, I feel like Momoi is driven more by, like, a sense of what she believes is the right thing to do. And we see this throughout, like, even her interaction with the other girls. She's constantly talking about, like, oh, you're supposed to care about your mom. Or you're supposed to be nice to adults. Or you're supposed to be a good student. And that's just kind of how she acts. Everything she's doing isn't based off her own feelings necessarily. But, like, if your friend dies you are supposed to feel sad and you're supposed to want them to come back yeah so momway is probably my favorite character because while she definitely seems like she has the least motive invested she's also just 
she she feels the most like a girl going through like her teenage years in my opinion yeah she's not too grown up like uh rika and uh literally my brain just uh nehru nehru i was i was gonna say they all well except nehru nehru seems like way too fucking mature for a 14 year old so does rika though like rika's immature in her own way but she's also very much like she had to grow up too soon yeah and I feels like she almost hit a block where she didn't know how to grow up at all. She's extremely childish, and she she acts very much like a little kid, but that's because, similar to Rika, she didn't really have, like, the best parents there to raise her, but her mom almost coddles her too much as well. Yeah. So she's, she's almost the same, but opposite of Rika, where... Momoi had a really supportive mom, a really close, you know, connection to her uncle. She had good adult figures to look up to, and she was expected to be a good adult as well. But a lot of that, like, maturity is surface level, where her true feelings are a bit more like, I want to go out on dates with boys, I, I want to find cute clothes, I, I just kind of want to be a teenager you know <laughs> oh poor girl yeah <laughs> oh she finally gets a- asked out on a date by a boy the boy thought she was <laughs> the boy thought she was a boy <laughs> oh i felt so bad for her <laughs> i did too i was like oh oh poor girl but again that kind of showed like her sense of like doing the right thing as opposed to having any kind of emotional attachment because when the boy finds out she's a girl, instead of, like, being offended or upset about the situation, she apologizes to him about, you know, the confusion. And then she tells everybody else, she's like, oh, you guys should laugh at the situation, because otherwise I'm going to feel stupid. Come on, guys, this is funny. <laughs> yeah, like, and she even tells them, she's like, you're supposed to laugh when, like, stuff like that happens. Even though they're just like, that's not funny. <laughs> they're like, um, <laughs> that's kind of screwy yeah <laughs> so yeah like momoi is very much a character she's i just mean like... i i understand her though because honestly like if that were to happen to one of my friends i would probably laugh my ass off <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i definitely relate to momoi this idea of like constantly being told that just smile or just do what you're told or just do what you're supposed to do and don't think about how you actually feel and to see her slowly start to come out of her shell i think is kind of one of the major themes of wonder egg priority no pun intended (laughs) no intend all your puns (laughs) so then we get to learn a bit more about the dream world and the eggs as well and this is through the two characters, Akka and Ura-Akka, who are both literal puppets who used to be they, human they a long used, time ago. They used to be human. It, it is revealed that they... It doesn't say how they did it, but they did transfer their consciousness into these puppets. Yeah, and we don't even know if Akka and Ura-Akka are even their real names as we never actually hear any other character from their past say their name out loud. We just hear them refer to them as you two or 
uncle. Uncle or your husband at one point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Akka and Ura-Akka could have just been names that they made up when they transfer their conscious to make the... Because they do mention uh, how, like, glamorous it is or how wonderful it is to be able to choose your own name. So I, I think that is a big thing. Uh, another thing I really noted, something that I want to just praise the art direction for, uh, Ura-Aka, like, his face is permanently shaped into a frown, and a more serious face, and Aka's is permanently shaped into a smile. And the episode where we do get to see what they look like as humans... If you pay attention throughout the entire episode, even when Akka is mad or upset, he's always still smiling a little bit, which is almost unnerving at certain points. He's always smiling. Mm -hmm. Where uh, Ura-Akka, even when he's happy, he's always has this serious look on his face or he's almost always frowning. And that's not an easy thing to portray with human characters who are supposed to have a wide range of emotions. And it, I do think it's interesting that their puppets almost have that exact same range of facial expressions. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the most incredible things I've ever seen from an art director. And I don't think enough people are going to talk about it, so that's why I want to talk about it right <laughs> it, now. It needs to be mentioned! Yeah. Like, I think if nothing else, when the inevitable 2021 Crunchyroll Awards roll around. If this is not nominated for Best Direction, I'm actually going to be really mad because the direction of this series is absolutely fantastic. The symbolism is apparent both in very obvious ways, uh, such as Rika's weapons being blades, as she's the one who does self-harm, well, or ev- more subtle ways like the uh, smile and friend. Uh, yeah, everyone's weapons are... are- kind of like that like Rika's are the 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 razor blades uh eyes is the the multicolored click pen thing that yeah. she got from her friend or whatever um i forget what Nehru's is it's, it's a like gun a, it's yeah yeah it's like a weird gun it could transform into other guns yeah it's the gun gun <laughs> the gun gun <laughs> and then uh Momoe's is what that umbrella the umbrella yeah Yeah. so which we also see the image of uh her and her friend sharing the umbrella in the ed yeah yeah so yeah there's a lot of like really obvious symbolism in the entire series and then there's a lot of not so obvious symbolism (laughs) (laughs) and i think both are handled with the same level of weight there's never anything that feels like sillier outlandish everything in this series feels like it has its own purpose and even the uh girls that stem from the eggs there's never one that's forgettable all of the girls that come from eggs all hold their own value i know the one that a lot of people say stood out for them was the second girl that i helps the gymnast who, similar to I, she just believed that a lot of the abuse and trauma she was going through was normal. It was just normal because her trauma was her coach. Yeah. Being like, no, you you need to try harder, like, or I beat you, basically. Yeah, and we see that she's so conditioned that even the one time she tried to sleep in so she could avoid going to practice because she just wanted to know what it was like to be a normal kid for once... Uh, she ended up just not being able to sleep, and then in the end, she still ended up going to practice on time. She just was sleep-deprived. Yeah. And it ended up just hurting her performance, and that's how conditioned she's been 
to be like the top athlete even though she's literally like 13 years old yeah so yeah and we also see that her coach may have even physically abused her and again she felt that that was normal she felt that's just training yeah like coming out of training you know gymnastics with bruises and scratches that doesn't seem too unusual when you don't know where those bruises and scratches are coming from mm-hmm. so uh another like egg child that stood out for a lot of people and this one i have mixed feelings about and that was in uh episode 10 we are introduced to the final egg that Momoi helps is a trans boy. And we see that his trauma was from the one of one of his teachers. Yeah. Because he went to the teacher uh, basically for advice. Mm-hmm. And the teacher was like, No, you're a fucking girl and then rapes him. Yeah. Uh I felt like this was a really important character to include in the series. I know a lot of uh, people in the trans community felt that this was a fantastic representation for trans kids. Uh, especially like the idea that they're not being accepted, but they still stand by what they say. They're like, if, if, I'm a, if I say I'm a boy, I'm a boy. You know, like nobody's going to change my opinion about that. Yeah. And he was such a strong character too. And he didn't even kill himself because of his own trauma. He killed himself because he found out he was pregnant and felt that the child would be traumatized. Yeah. And he felt that he was doing a mercy for the unborn child. Uh, My only major issue with this character is that in the series, it's implied that the only people that can be brought to the dream world via eggs are girls. And so by including a trans male character, it undermines the idea that the character is in fact a boy. Yeah, I I didn't even think about that yeah. until now. So So that, that was my only issue. I was just like, if you're going to include a trans boy, don't imply that it's actually a girl. Yeah. Like, like he's you, you can't say like, oh, only girls are allowed. But he's definitely a boy. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So, yeah, that... I felt that was just a bit tone deaf on the writer's part. I don't think that was their intention. And I think in terms of including trans characters in anime, I do feel like this was a step in the right direction. I know Japan is a bit behind America when it comes to trans studies and... I, I, yeah, I, I don't know everything about their whole acceptance of trans individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really only get small glimpses through anime and whatnot. And so, media. And, and, yeah, and other medias, but it doesn't seem like they're viewed favorably. Yeah. Or have, as if they really exist by most of the, the the people in power. Yeah. I I don't think that's necessarily true, but I think they're just like they're behind America. And that like America's not perfect, but we do have this big movement of like support trans people, trans lives matter. And I feel like Japan is starting to get there. 
they're they're starting to hit that wave of acceptance and understanding. But yeah, so like for, if you look for, at America, like for us, if we would be like in the middle of it, mm-hmm. Japan would be more towards the beginning of yeah. the whole movement. Because if you even look at like America's like LGBT community, like even less than a dec or a decade ago, we probably would have also shown a trans boy in the same light that Wonder Egg Priority did. Where it would have been like, oh, this character was born a girl, but they want to be a boy. And that's kind of how America treated trans people, you know, like I said, not even a decade ago. And I think that's where Japan is right now, where they're like, we want representation, but they don't understand that representation yet. Yeah. If that makes sense. So yeah, it rubbed me the wrong way, but I'm like, I'm not, I, I don't have the right to be mad about it. And I, overall it's, it's a good representation, Yeah. but implementation was a little skewampus. Yeah. And I think if people are happy with this representation, I'm not here to like rain on their parade. Yeah. For it. So if, if you are a trans girl or a trans boy and you are extremely happy about this representation, I'm glad that you have this representation. So I just think it could have been better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah. And again, they uh, they were one of my favorite characters, honestly. Yeah, I, I liked that episode. That was a good one. Yeah, I especially love I mean, how cute all, he was with Momoi. They're, they're all good episodes, really. But like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the more lighthearted moments in the series as well. In a series that is so filled with darkness, uh, these egg girls and the one egg boy all showing appreciation for the person that saved them or feeling like there was some salvation, at least for them to be able to move on or feel like there was somebody out there that just cared about them enough. All of that always feels so good. And it's always like... We, we get, like, this, like, happy music every time, too, as well. Yeah. Like, the music is different in every single, like, dream world, but I I think it's just one of those things that make people want to keep coming back to the show is it's that small ray of hope. But then the series constantly reminds you that this is not a cheerful, cute girls doing cute things anime, even though that's what it looks like on the surface. At the end of the day, this is a horror series. Don't don't judge me for my cute girls doing cute things <laughs> shit. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying this is not in that genre. <laughs> yeah. It looks like it, but it's not. And I think it's really easy to see why people have compared this series to franchises like Puella Magi Madoka Magica or Persona or anything along those lines because it really does give off those vibes but I think it has a much clearer message in this series and I think unlike those that feel more like dark fantasy this one is straight up horror because it utilizes a lot of things that are unique to Japanese horror and I've talked about Japanese horror before on the podcast, but it's been a while, and I know we have some listeners that haven't listened to all of our older episodes. But something that really stands out with Japanese horror is this almost Pavlovian effect where they constantly remind you of a noise or a cue or something. Even like that happy music that plays every time they save a girl, it's part of that Pavlovian effect. Uh, in the latest episode in particular, we are going to go into major spoilers of episode 11. But this is something that just immediately sticks out, and that is one of the characters in particular making a popping noise with her mouth. 
Mm, yeah. yeah. And this is pure psychological Japanese horror at its finest. I I have to admit, uh, hearing that stupid popping noise brought back horror <laughs> nightmares mm-hmm. about the meme of Shrek. <laughs> Could you be quiet for five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> I did not think about that. Everybody deals with their trauma different, I guess. Yes. But yeah, this is something like if you've ever watched any Japanese horror movies, I know the grudge is probably the most common situation. Everybody knows that noise from the grudge. That weird, like, mouth-rattling noise. Uh... Also, things like the ring, whereas, like, everybody associates, like, the phone ringing or the phrase seven days. Uh, that's what Japanese horror does to you. It Or the, uh, the ever-so-popular ReZero. Yeah, the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's definitely stuff like that that makes horror really get under your skin. And it's very different from Western horror. So, Western horror... There's always this idea that the whole thing is just kind of a game. Like, if it's a bunch of teenagers trying to escape a serial killer, the game is whoever survives wins. You're trying to solve some kind of puzzle. You're trying to dig into the killer's past or find their weakness. That that and it seems like a lot of American horror is uh, very reliant on jump scares. Yeah. And I'm not saying, like, Japanese horror doesn't have jump scares at all either, but, like, American horror is heavily reliant on it. Yeah. But the biggest thing, the biggest difference I've noticed between, like, Western horror versus Japanese horror in particular is that in Western horror, there's always this idea that you can escape. Like, you always hear things about, like, ghost stories, like, oh, if you ever come across a haunted church, here's the rules. If you know the rules you'll be safe and you can get out of there and you'll be fine. Don't ever look back. And that's kind of the horror of America is just don't be ignorant. Don't have a plan and know what the plan is. In Japanese horror... Japanese horror, you come across a lady wearing a mask who asks you if she's beautiful. You say yes and she's like, okay, and slashes your mouth open. (laughs) You say no and she kills you. That was the example I was going to use too. (laughs) Japanese horror is not about the rules it doesn't matter if you know the rules it's if you're in the situation you're bummed (laughs) yeah there's no escape there's no positive outlook there's you suffer or you die and this is so common like this is something that people have pointed out with like junji ito as well is that there's no like silver lining in junji ito in uh you know, the town of spirals, you are cursed by the spiral. Uh, the the silver lining in Junji Ito is Junji Ito himself. Because he's such a wholesome person. He's such a wholesome person. <laughs> but if you come across the hanging balloons, your balloon will find you. It's... Yeah. Yeah, it's... This idea that once you are a participant in the game, there are no winners. There's, even if you survive, you're not 
going to be the same person. Yeah. And that's very much how Wonder Egg Priority has been treating the trauma of the series, is that you don't escape trauma. You can follow the rules, you can learn about these people's past, you can learn about how everything's supposed to be done, and you can dig into why everything that's happening is happening, but at the end of the day, you are not coming out of this the same person. You are either going to be traumatized or you are going to die. <laughs> Take your pick. For, maybe first one, then the other. Yeah. And you might be a stronger person, but you are going to leave a big part of yourself behind, and it's up to you to decide what part of that self you're leaving behind. And we learn more and more about why this is through the latest episode, episode 11, and the introduction of the main antagonist of the series, Frill, who was a 14-year-old girl who was created by Akka and Ura-Akka. They made her because they were bored. They, <laughs> uh, yes, I too have been bored and thought to myself, I'm gonna make a woman. <laughs> You wouldn't be the first one. <laughs> In this case, I think they wanted a family more than anything. Like, yeah, they were under a lot because of... they, they don't. I I joke about the you know I'm gonna make a woman thing mm -hmm. you know, but they they made a child you know they mm -hmm. they viewed themselves more as father figures rather than wanting a woman. Yeah. And we see that they were creating some kind of artificial happiness as well. Like, they intentionally created this girl to be so realistic that they themselves would forget that she was artificial. And it felt like they were just kind of trying to chase some high or some delusion. And when reality started to overtake that and they started to find genuine happiness that artificial life that they try to erase comes creeping back in and constantly reminds them that they can't get rid of it, that it will always exist, it'll always be a part of them, and hence the noise. Yep. <laughs> I don't go. even know how well it's picking it up. F finally got a good one. I see a blip. Yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> Yep, there we go. <laughs> There's the blip. But yeah, I honestly have never seen any type of horror that has gotten under my skin as much as this show has. I think the imagery of hyphen and dot in particular are the creepiest things I've ever seen in anime. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... We've talked about horror anime in the past, and there's something I've always kind of stood by, and that's the idea that horror and animation are kind of difficult. Because when you're creating a live-action horror, the idea is to rely on camera movement. It's to make things feel as unnatural as possible in a real environment. It's to play around with that uncanny valley or to make disturbing images, and the reason why that doesn't work with animation is because animation already exists within a strange reality that can only be perceived in our heads, and it's possible to create horror through that medium, but it's not easy. 
And when you compare that to still drawings like Junji Ito's manga, a lot of that is dependent or dependent on the person reading the manga. I know Super Eye Patch Wolf and a lot of other uh, anti-tubers have talked about the relevance of the page turn. That it's you in control of seeing the disturbing images. You're the one pushing yourself forward through this story. And it's the reason why the Junji Ito collection can't hold a candle to his comics. And then when you get horror video games, again, you're the one pushing yourself forward. If you're playing Resident Evil, you're the one going to the next room. You're the one trying to find the next clue or be chased down by a vampire uh, milf. <laughs> if, if there's one thing I've learned from watching people play Resident Evil and playing the little amount of it that I have played, mm -hmm. it's that... It's, it's not you going into the next room. Mm -hmm. It's you trying to go into the next room. The camera angle changes and you <laughs> suddenly go back into the same room you were in before. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get into Resident Evil because I cannot handle the camera. I get why the camera angles are such an important part of that genre. Like, trust me, I get it. I've, I've read all the an er, analytics about it. I've... Or the analysis about it. I've heard enough, like, gaming YouTubers talk about why Resident Evil's, like, still camera feature is so vital. But I can't play video games that way, <laughs> personally. Uh, it's it's jarring. Yeah. It, it is. It's... And it's intentionally jarring, but I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, the, the essence of horror is the idea that you are the one in charge... Where Wonder Egg Priority takes that idea and it removes you from it. You're not in charge anymore. You have no control and neither does any character in the series. As the girls are progressing forward... Jesus, take the wheel! <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Yeah, in this case, it's Frill, take the wheel. <laughs> Frill, take the wheel! Yep. Oh boy. That no matter how much you try to gain control of your life, no matter how much you try to understand the past, you can't do anything. There's no such thing as control. Control is an illusion. You are just an AI girl the same way Frill is. You, you're scared of the dark and you get toothaches. <laughs> I substitute your reality and... and... Or I reject your reality and substitute my own. Yeah. All of the girls going yeah, through the dream world, they're going through this believing that they're saving somebody they care about. They help all of these other girls who lost control of their lives and they feel like they're gaining something from it. But in the end, when Hyphen and Dot show up to crash the party, they realize that they were never going to save their friends yeah um so so here's here's my thought on that i i don't think uh them ever saving their friends or sister or whatever was an option yeah i i think you know like they they are given that hope that hey if if you save enough of these girls in the dream world then maybe you'll save your friend mm -hmm. you know they're they're given that hope to basically push forward but at the end instead of having you know their their friend come back to life as they believe all it does is give them closure yeah and that's 
kind of a big thing like what I'm going like I'm going for is the idea that they think they have a choice they think that they're going to change something because they're fighting for it but the truth is they're not going to change reality because you can't change reality they are simply puppets in this situation yeah they are all part of this grand experiment that Akka and Ura Ura Akka yeah have put them in and honestly the whole goal is that they're just trying to defeat Frill yeah and the thing is Frill is just as human as they are Shit, how long do you think Akka and Uraaka have been at it? I I think if you look at a it lot of does, the documents... It doesn't you... explain, like... Yeah. Like, like their timeline is a little unclear. Yeah. It does... Uh, there are, like, documents and stuff that you can see, but... They were really, really clever to not show things like cell phones or anything in any of the flashbacks. And even the, like, technology that we see is either too fantastic for it to be real or is something that you can't really date, such as the hairdryer. So, yeah. yeah, they were very, very careful to not give us any kind of year or time frame. The same way that we never hear their names. Their past almost feels like just as much of a dream as the dream world. Yeah. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like, they've, they've obviously transferred their consciousnesses into puppets mm -hmm. so like they don't really have any sort of concept of dying of old age yeah you know so like how long have they these two been working on their studies of you know teenage girl suicide mm -hmm. you know like like how how many how many girls have gone through collecting eggs to try to save their friends yeah you know so, I don't know. I'm just curious as timeline. Yeah, like I said, and this show's very, very careful to not ever tell us anything. Yeah. And that's why I said this series absolutely needs to be nominated for Best Direction, if nothing else, because it is such good direction, and everything about it is important. This is a series you almost need to go back and re-watch after you watched it the first time. I know there's a few times where I watch the episode and then I'll come over to your place and I'll be like, okay, you have to watch the newest episode. You gotta watch this shit. And there's yeah. definitely stuff that I catch the second viewing that I didn't quite catch on the first viewing. So this is a series that is just littered with small details and it constantly tries to pull your focus away from the truth. Like, we're so focused on I accomplishing her goal or any of these girls just finding that small piece of happiness that we don't notice the more darker things happening in the background. And I think that's so important and just I will never get over how absolutely fantastic this series is at pulling you through it. And I do think that looking back on the early episodes and realizing that Frill was the one behind everything, too, is just such an absolute mindfuck. <laughs> yeah. God damn it, Frill. <laughs> yeah, also, like I said, Dot and Hyphen are the creepiest things I've ever seen in anime, ever. I want to give credit to the voice acting here as well, because I'm... 
I'm genuinely curious how they're going to handle this in the dub because that the actors they have for the original Japanese are just so creepy and I feel like they they're just so vital to how much these characters get under your skin. Even the little things like the sound of like their weird bug wings flapping and the imagery, everything about it is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And this is, in my opinion, Japanese horror at its best. And I, I've seen so many like anti-tubers at this point try to analyze and break down all of these characters, and I think all of them are doing a fantastic job, but nobody's addressed the fact that this is a horror series. Yeah. Um, I'm not usually big into horror. Mm-hmm. You know this, so it's it's a little surprising that I've actually come to enjoy this one as much as I have. Mm. But it's also I don't know. It seems a little different from horror, like your general horror as well. Yeah, and like I said, that's because normally in horror, there's this idea of you you have to learn the rules and you get out of it. In this, similar to the woman in the mask, you don't have control over the situation. And you never will. And there's no answer that will make you safe. I'm genuinely curious how episode 12 is going to go down because I think that on one hand, I want to see I overcome this challenge, but on the other hand, I think that that lack of control is so vital to this series' message. Yeah. And we see it kind of subtly throughout the entire thing. We talk about how Momoe constantly talks about you're just supposed to do things because you're, it's normal. Or uh, I and Riku being constantly told, like, your trauma is normal or things like that. Or even I finding out that her counselor, who obviously her friend had some strange relationship with, is now dating her mom. Yeah, to which, you know, her her newfound friends in the Wonder Egg community <laughs> tease her about it. Like, oh, maybe I has a crush on him. Yeah, and we see, yeah. we see I even questioning her own feelings about it because she wants to be in control of the situation. And the reality that she has to face is that this is not something she has control over. And we see both her mom and her counselor constantly trying to put this, you know, phrase that in a way that's easy for a child to understand, like, oh, we just love each other, we just care about each other, we just want to be together. And we almost see I trying to sabotage that, almost like projecting feelings onto him in hopes that maybe he'll abandon his feelings for her mom. And it definitely gets a bit uncomfortable, but that message of trying to force control in a situation you have no control over is so prominent. And I think that's what makes this series scary. It's it's creepy. Yeah. It gets under your skin. It sits in the back of your head forever, and it makes you question not only what these characters are thinking, but also what you're thinking while watching it. I think and... nothing. I turned my brain <laughs> off. Thank you very much. And they do this while giving us bright colors and a fun slice of life art style. And even the OP feels like this is going to be a good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like the OP. I love the OP. 
I love the OP so much. It's it's good. It's just, uh, I, I feel like it's a little bit too slow paced, personally. I, I think it's strangely beautiful though. Like, it is, yeah. it is. I'm not saying it's not, but for me it's just, it it's too slow paced. I think that's kind of also part of the whole unease of it though. Yeah. Like it's not like this like, yay, happy-go-lucky, girls being cute thing. And it's like, it's like, hey, look, there's these girls that are just girls. And, oh, look, the, the clouds are going away and the sun's coming out and things are getting better and they're learning to be happy. And then the egg cracks. In, in, in the end, isn't that all life is really about, is just trying to learn to be happy? <laughs> and maybe that's one of the major messages of this show as well. But yeah, it's there's constantly this feeling of like unease and that I think even the egg cracking at the end of the opening very much feels like this isn't real. Like the happiness that they found, the friendship that they found, the we're going to be able we're going to be okay and we're going to move on from things. That's is is, is this actually what's going to happen or it's this crack yeah, exactly. It's this hopeless optimism. Saving all of these girls that are in the eggs, it's hopeless optimism. It's They didn't save them. They're still... They still killed they, themselves. They, they still died. And, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the idea of saving these girls isn't about saving these girls, but a weird sense of self-satisfaction that the four main characters feel. Yeah. And as we see, or we saw with Momoe and uh, Rika, that feeling doesn't last. Even their cute little animals can't save them. Oh, poor animals. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, that was, I think that was especially hard for uh, Rika because earlier, in one of the earlier episodes, we see that she considers that animal to be her child. Like, it was the thing that made her feel okay about the shitty relationship she has with her mom. Yeah. So, yeah, this this series will hit you hard, and it hits you where it hurts. And I genuinely am curious how they're going to end the show, because we have one episode left, and... One episode left. Oh, boy. Ooh. And I can't imagine this is going to leave off with a, Watch season two! <laughs> no. No, uh... this, this show's definitely going to wrap up in one more episode. Uh... The only question is how. Yeah. And like I said, I want to see I come out of this triumphant, but I feel like if she just comes in and she, like, kicks Frill's ass and everything goes back to being happy, it defeats the purpose of what we've just built up and what we've learned about these characters. I, I don't want to see her sad, but I also want to see this series carry out its message and its themes throughout the end. Yeah. So... Too bad. <laughs> Pick one. I guess no matter what, the point is that you're going to be disappointed. Yes. And I think this is a series that treats... Just like real life. <laughs> I think it's a series that treats disappointment in a very realistic fashion. So I feel like, if nothing else, this might be one of the most mature anime I've seen since Devil Man Cry Baby. Mm-hmm. So, and it does so without the uh, woman eating a man with her vagina. So. <laughs> you know, I knew this show was missing something, but I couldn't <laughs> put my finger on it. 
So yeah, I feel like if you have not watched this one yet, or if this has flown under your radar, or if you just thought it was a cute girl anime, just you know this is a horror <laughs> anime. Yes. And I can't wait to see some people who are definitely smarter than us break down this series as a whole, because there's so, a lot so, of anti-tubers yeah, that are smarter than us. There's, there's a lot. Uh, so, yeah, with everything we've talked about, if you feel like you can get over, you know, a lot of the sensitive issues, definitely a very good show to watch. Mm -hmm. This is my top recommendation of the season, easily. And I can't wait till we talk about it next week as well, because Yay. episode 12 is definitely going to affect us one way or another. Yes. And I like that I have no idea what direction they're going to go in, which I think in this case is a really positive thing. Unlike what they're doing with Attack on Titan. <laughs> <laughs> you let us down. I, I wouldn't say they're letting us down. I'm just confused. I don't know what the plan is. They're definitely not wrapping up Attack on Titan in one more episode. <laughs> but they, they tell us that they are. So they're like, this is the last episode of Attack on Titan ever. And everybody's like, is it? <laughs> huh? Are you sure? They're, they're going to go the route of uh, anim all anime nowadays where they're going to wrap up the anime and then they're going to finish it off with a movie. That's what I think is going to happen, but the manga readers have assured me that even a movie is not going to be enough. So... Two movies! Two movies! <laughs> <laughs> We're getting the Snyder Cut of Attack on Titan. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Uh, with that, uh, Wonder Egg Priority, easily 10 out of 10. Already my choice for anime of the year, if not... De definitely recommend. It has fantastic music, fantastic art, fantastic characters, and obviously fantastic direction. Yes. Easily my anime of the year, and I know I say that every winter season. <laughs> but I was right about Devilman Crybaby, and I still stand about what I said about uh, Keep Your Hands Off Hezekin, so... Yeah. So... And I actually like this one a little bit better than both of them, actually. Right. So, yeah, what are you, weird? I like horror. What are you, weird? It's rare to see horror done well in animation, and this is like the first time I can say that it's probably been done perfect in animation. What are you, weird? Yes. Okay. So with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and skip the end segment. We care about you guys. Good, because I have one, but I haven't polished it up. Yeah, we'll, we'll just skip it because this is a bit more of a heavy tone episode. Yes. Care about you guys. Thanks for listening. Yes. Uh, if if you are having any problems, like, seek help. There's yeah. There's there's hotlines, whatnot. Reach out. Absolutely. So, I know we've said it before, but yeah, yes. honestly, like, reach, reach out if you are having any of these issues. Yeah. I, I know we talked about how you don't have control, and that's one of the theme, themes of this show, but that's just a show, and you should always have control. In in real life, Frill isn't taking the wheel. Yes, Frill is not <laughs> taking the wheel. So, yeah. It's your life. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye! Bye! Bye.